When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kira Maguire. Kira and I, I it's, we're what, nearly halfway through January, I, I think... I think I may have finally put Christmas behind me, Kieran. I think I may have finally accepted that it's over. Uh, even though there are some valiant Polish and Russian people in our street who are keeping the, the the good fight going, they've still got their lights up because obviously their Christmas is a little later than ours for for historical reasons. But I've, I've got a feeling it's time to start putting Christmas behind me, Kieran, and looking forward to to next Christmas. So I'm in that I'm in that melancholy, reflective sort of mood. Kieran, so which which hopefully there'll be no reminders on this show about Christmas or anything. Like that. But you, Kieran, you being a summer person, you, you sunshine's in your soul all the time. So I imagine it's already June in your lifetime, is it? Yeah, I was having this discussion with uh, the Baroness, and she said, you know, on a scale of Tiggers and Eeyores, I'm really hard to live with because I'm. <laughs> irritatingly cheerful I'm, I am just I'm, I'm, I'm beyond Tigger um, and I always sort of see that the positives in things um, so uh, yeah I'm, I, I'm I'm yeah the days are getting longer I'm, I'm excited yeah, I, I, I take when I take Finley for a dog in the dog walk in the morning I've got, I've got that extra extra 10 minutes of, of light when we're together so I think it's it's wonderful uh, and, I, and I'm still still reflecting in in being Barry Glendenning's standing on uh on the Guardian Football Weekly uh, a week ago, um, yeah, I think. I think. It, why? On, why on earth they chose Tigger for that job, Kieran? Is is <laughs> is beyond me because that, that very much is the the Eeyore's Eeyore being replaced by the Tigger's Tigger. That must have been some <laughs> some adjustment for Max Rushton to make there. And well done, by the way, on on changing dogging to dog walking in a, in a millisecond there, just just <laughs> just earlier on. <laughs> Uh, who was it? Who was it who said to us? We, we interviewed somebody recently. Who was, who was it who said nobody follows Eeyore into battle? Uh, that was Sanjay, who um, on, on the, the back uh, of appearing on the yes, Price indeed, of yes, Football yes, podcast, yes. Uh, he was uh, he was given a gong. Yes, he was indeed. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. And he's, he's thoroughly deserved. He's absolutely yeah. He can't. It's only a matter of time, Kieran. Surely before we we get one, isn't it, for services to. Half-assed podcasting. <laughs> if there was an MBE for half-assed podcasting and not getting on with it, we'd have won that already, Kieran. This one. Anyway, let's hope there's no reminders of Christmas. Now, first question comes from Quentin Solden, who's an old friend of the show. He says, who are the Dickens? Mm. What? 
Hey, well, we're both back on Christmas what? already. Quentin, how could you? <laughs> Quentin says, who the Dickens are via play and could they be a future player in the battle for Premier League TV rights? I mean, if they are, Kieran, that would be a long time way down the line because we've, we've had a new deal recently. Um, so it'd be a f- half a decade yet, I'd imagine, before the next TV rights broadcasting deal. But uh, it's a good question, Kieran. I've heard you mention via play, but I'm not entirely sure who they are. Well, Viaplay are originally, they're a Scandinavian. I think they, they started off in Sweden, um, streaming platform. So what, what, we, what we sometimes call OTT uh, broadcaster. And uh, they they were sort of associated, remember the sort of the, uh, the Nordic noir, um, you know, the moody shows you used to get on BBC Three and Channel Four More Four with uh, lots of detectives and staring into the sunlight and, uh, you know, very, very strange murders and so on. You go, well, I, mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't have, uh, uh, I, I never had Scandinavia as being such a, a death, <laughs> death, deathly place, but uh, it's all happening there. Um, so, so they started doing it, and, but, but then they chose to make some programmes themselves. And their first ever programme and this this is not an opportunity to to go the full Robin Asquith. Their first program was called Swedish Dicks, which was a a, a private investigator show based in Stockholm. Um, and I think that had a mixed degree of success. So they they therefore decided to expand their operations into um, into sport. It's clearly, you know, the Premier League in particular is popular there. So they got into the Baltics. They started to, to get some some of the rights. Um, they did have the rights to uh, broadcast the the Scottish national teams games. They sponsored the Scottish League Cup, and things seemed to be going okay until they had an almighty crash earlier in well last year in in the summer of twenty twenty three. And all of a sudden, they pulled out of Scotland effectively overnight. Um, their share price took an absolute tumble on the markets. Um, I I went onto their website. I thought, well, this is an opportunity to uh, look at some Swedish sets of accounts. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not something I do every day, but yeah, you know, I'm always as Tigger. I'm always keen to uh, expand my uh, my portfolio. So I, I took a look at their accounts, and their their turnover is about one point two billion pounds, which mm-hmm. you know is is a fair sum of money. They they break even and so on. They, they make a wee bit of money, but you know that that means that they are roughly twice the size of Liverpool. You know, as, as a you know, Liverpool football club, which means in in terms of being able to compete for Premier League rights, and and their name was certainly being discussed um, when the, the the Premier League was uh, marketing the the next broadcasting deal but by then by the time that deal that went through they they'd already announced that yeah we've got some financial problems twenty five percent of the staff have sadly been made redundant so what we are seeing uh, I think amongst quite a few broadcasters especially some of the new broadcasters is I'm not saying they've bitten off more than they can chew, but it's a classic case of you know, an initial spurt of growth, then a bit of consolidation, and then realise actually we're not 
getting the numbers in terms of subscribers and in terms of advertisers that we've been banking on. And they've they've gone into quite a quite a significant reverse. I think they pulled out the Baltics, they pulled out some of the other markets in Europe. So I'm afraid, Quentin, um, I, I don't see them as being uh, competitors uh, unless they have another bounce back for uh, the Premier League rights when they when they rep next can up for renewal, which we 2029, of course. Um, or if the Premier League is going to try to launch some new products, they, they, they very much had their fingers burnt. And if we, if we take a look at the history of uh, rights in uh, you know, UK football, quite a few, you know, the likes of Satanta and uh, B Sky B, or not B Sky B, but uh, you know, uh, British, whatever it BSB, was called, yeah. people with the square yeah. rules, you know, they, they, yeah, BSB, they, they, they got, uh, they got into trouble. Um, um, so that that's where they are at present. So I, they are trying, they are focusing on survival. You know, their their, their share prices gone gone through the floor. The chief executive had to resign, I think, and uh, yeah, things aren't great. I, I suppose for a Scandinavian detective, Kieran, staring into the sunlight is more problematic depending on what time of the year it is. Because you've either got too much sunlight to stare into or not enough. So, um, and also I want you, Kieran, we, we can see each other now on this new platform on which we record, upon which we record, I beg your pardon, to my old English teacher. I want you to look me in the eye, Kieran, and, and swear to me that that programme was called Swedish Dicks. It is genuinely called Swedish dicks. Okay, because the way the way you use phrases like "spurt" and pulling out of the Baltics during that sentence made me think you've been reading, <laughs> you, you've been back on the Profanosaurus again, haven't you? Yes. No, no, no. Uh, you've, you, your entendres are just <laughs> your entendre uh, spidey senses are just extra <laughs> extra well honed today. That's all. Well hung, did you say? Okay. Uh, our next question comes from Wes Burdeen. Um, Apologies, that's not how you pronounce it, Wes, but it's, it's, a, it's a good name, whatever way you look at it. Uh, Wes Burdine has a sort of existential question, Kieran. Mm. It sort of sums up what we've been talking about for four years on the pod, really. As Wes says, it feels like the entirety of football is based on having enough rich people who can lose a ton of money in the hope that it might pay off, and fans who pray that their benevolent billionaire won't just walk away. Do you see models for sustainability in football, clubs and leagues that operate differently, is it just the Bundesliga 50 plus one model and we pray that some sort of October revolution, October's near Christmas, some sort of October revolution spreads that model spreads that model through the, the footballing world? I mean, it, it kind of sums up, I mean, if you and I ever stop still in a, in a pub or, a, or in your case, a milk bar, somebody will come up to us and say, there must be another way of running football other than this, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And, and I think actually Wes did ask that question of both of us. So here, here we can we can put on our, our chin stroking hats and uh, you know, perhaps perhaps contemplate. Are there models that would work? Yes, there are, but they come with, in my view, at a very, very high price. If we moved to a 50 plus one model where there is fan ownership and there is a limited upside for individuals or uh, financial funds or sovereign wealth you know sovereign wealth to to invest in football the danger is um, you get the upside of what we see in german football which is in my view uh, a closer relationship between fan bases 
and owners, but you get the downside in that Bayern Munich win it every year because they've got they, they've got uh, an initial financial advantage. Why have we got more choice these days in in terms of clubs likely to be successful in the Premier League? Because if we go back to sort of you know that that first you know dozen years of the Premier League, yes, Blackburn Rovers. Um, had the benefit of Jack Walker and they, they won it for a season. But then it was mainly Manchester United and occasionally Arsenal. And actually, it was a bit boring, wasn't it? Yeah. By how many points are one of those two clubs going to win it this season? So so then we did have the first disruption in the form of Chelsea, um, which was sugar daddy ownership. There's no there's, there's no denying that. And then we had a second in in the shape of Sheikh Mansour and Manchester City, and that that has uh, yeah that has shaken things up, and, and it has made it more competitive. Liverpool have come back into it on the back of a very very smart player recruitment model, and Spurs are you know Spurs are sort of the Borussia Dortmund of of uh, of English football in the sense that you know they. They'll they'll get they'll always be top half, but they won't necessarily win it. But but at least yeah, at, at times they'll they'll genuinely yeah they'll, they'll they they are a very competitive team, and it's also allowed um, the likes of Newcastle and you know, other clubs to to come in and be competitive. If you take a look at Villa this season, they have billionaire owners who have put a huge amount of money into the club, and um, and and that's created that level of excitement. But from a sustainability point of view, that's absolutely terrible. Because if you take a look at the losses of Chelsea and Villa, and you know Chelsea, Villa, um, Everton, and Manchester City, the four biggest loss-making clubs in in the history of the Premier League. So, if you want financial sustainability, it can come with a you know, with a negative dividend as well. Um, we could move to a. A Scottish car model. Yeah, well, I've always said that I, I admire the fact that the majority of Scottish clubs break even or, or make a wee bit of profit. Why is that? Well, that's for two reasons. First of all, they don't try to win the Scottish Premiership because so, it, I, I was looking at the figures this morning and I think we, we could have this crazy situation. Celtic had a very successful 22-23 and it could be that Celtic has made as much revenue as the, all of the other clubs in the Premiership added together, yeah, they were very close to Rangers a year ago, and they've they've zoomed ahead as a result of uh, success in the in the Champions League. You include Rangers in that in that figure, including Rangers. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, it was wow. it, you know, it, it really is. You know, and and it, it, it's not quite there, but we're, we're, yeah, you know, yeah. we're they're, they're very very close. Um, and that means that. There's no significant difference between the bottom of the Premiership and the top of the Championship. So clubs don't overspend, and therefore the local owners say, yeah, we'll try and break even. We might have a little bit of a loss, which I can cover. So financial sustainability, I think, is, is more, of a, uh, more of a common issue in Scottish football than it is in English football. Um, or we could take the American approach and we could move to a franchise-based system you know, we, you and I, as legacy fans of football, we found Super League to be a complete anathema. It was something alien to us, and also, you know, we're we're old enough and ugly enough to know that 
we're going to have more relegation fights watching our team in the Premier League than we are going to have you know, chances of getting into the Champions League. And, and that, that last four or five games of the season, when you're going, well, we're only two, two points above the drop zone, it, it's not enjoyable. It's not exciting, but it does get the adrenaline flowing. And, and every match matters. If you move to a, a franchise system with closed leagues, you get that financial sustainability because there's no incentive to overspend to avoid relegation. So can we have sustainable models? Yes, yes, we can. They all come at a price. And, and the, final, the final way of achieving this is to nationalise football. Now, you know, you and I, I think we're, we're both sort of liberal, centres, left centre in terms of our uh, social thinking. I'm, I'm probably a wee bit more conservative from a financial angle, but I don't want socialised football, you know, because the whole thing about football is that it is local. And, and, you know, you've always said that you feel that your affinity with Palace is part of the fact that where you live, it gives you that unique part of identity. Uh, and I think that's the case for, for practically every fan of a club that has that, that you know, 60, 70, however many years relationship that it's going to be. If, if you nationalise football, as we've seen you know, historically in places such as East Germany and the former Soviet Union, you lose all of that. So can we have financially sustainable football? Yes, we can. The chaos that we have here, and let's face it, you and I both be out of a job um, if, if, it, if, it, if it did exist, because no, nobody would be listening to us if it was just full of, oh, oh and uh, Kilmarnock have broken even, and Barnett <laughs> have broken even. Oh, and Walsall. Oh, yeah, they've broken yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. yeah, can you see? Yeah, the price of football would have, would have lasted the, the four episodes that we initially thought that uh, it was going to be in existence for. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things there. One consolation me, if you did nationalise, I quite like the idea that to play for Crystal Palace, you actually have to be a glazier. You turn out a team of 11 good socialist glaziers. That would be quite... And I also like the idea you say the last four games of the season when you're thinking, oh, we're, we're in a bit of trouble here. For the most of us, Kieran, it's the last 25 games of the season. Where we're yes. going, this is... We're, we're only two points above the thing. I'm not sure... You're quite right. Res did, Wes did ask both of us the question. I'm not sure there is a model that is entirely sustainable just because of human nature and the, the nature of the people that take over football clubs. I, I think the best you can do is make sure the authorities have a, a proper, diligent, strong owners and uh, directors test and put into place measures whereby every month or every week those owners and directors have to prove that they still have enough money to continue running that football club for the next for the next years. I, I'm not entirely sure that there is a system that is ever, is ever fair. I mean, where do you accommodate fan-owned clubs, for example, in, unless unless all the clubs in one league are fan-owned, then they'll probably never be able to compete at a higher level. So I think the glorious chaos is, is, is one we're stuck with, but I do think much, much more can be done to make sure that individual clubs are protected and to make sure that the owners of those clubs have enough money to run them on a, on a regular basis, which, again, <clears throat> I'm not holding my breath that either of those things will ever happen. Chris Hartley has a more specific question, Kieran, and probably one that won't take as long to answer. Uh, Chris says, do players have any say in when clubs decide to trigger contract extensions? Can a player refuse, for example, or is it hardwired into their initial contract? 
Well, th this is very much uh, determined when that first contract is signed, because remember, you, you've got the two parties. You have the club making an offer in terms of the contract and, and the player choosing to accept those terms or, or not accept. Um, and normally the player, of course, will have taken advice from, from their representatives. Um, as far as the contract extension is concerned, sometimes they are triggered because the player has featured in you know, 25, 30 games. So sometimes it can be a, a layer of protection for the player, although I'm fully aware, and I'm sure you are as also, of cases where the club thinks, actually, we don't want him last season. And then somebody has a quiet word with the manager. He's played 28 games. Look, just just drop him. And, of course, the player's getting anxious because you know, the, the player might have you know, got you know, local residents, might have a family, could have kids at school. You know, there, there are lots of things which we, we only see the footballer as the commodity. We don't see the footballer as as a young man or a young woman who has a professional career and is looking uh, to, to carry that on. So, so yeah, it, it can cause anxiety for, for players. And, and certainly I've spoken to players uh, who have been under those circumstances and they say, yeah, we do get twitchy. And also there's that huge sense of relief when, oh, I've just played the 30th game. That means I'm automatically getting another 12 months. And all of the focus tends to be on the Premier League, but in League One and League Two, you are looking for a degree of continuity and, and there are a huge number of players who are released every June. So um, the, the player has no say in that. From the club's point of view, if they have an option to extend a contract, so I believe, and you know, and we don't see these things, but you know, if, if you read the press, um, Manchester United, by all accounts, have an option to extend Anthony Martial's contract by a further 12 months at the end of this year. Now, depending upon who you read, they are either going to trigger that or they're not going to trigger that. He's, he's become sort of a bit of a poster boy for the for the, the boo gang uh, as far as you know, Manchester United's travails are concerned. And, and that can often be the case. You know, people people become scapegoated. Uh, and it's not, not for me to say whether he should or shouldn't. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified to say that. But um, under those circumstances, the the club will normally say to the player or, or the player's representatives, right, you've got this one-year extension. We have got to make that decision by the 1st of February, the 1st of March, whatever it says in the contract, and we're now giving you advance notice that we intend to do that. Even if you're not intending to play the player the next season. Because what are you doing? You're protecting the player's value. You say, well, okay, what we actually try and do is we think we can probably get three, four, five million for him in this transfer market. Let's trigger the extension and then try to flog the player in the summer. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion... You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. 
and Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. interesting one Kieran it comes from L Robert um L Robert might be French or it might be L Robert I don't know he might be Spanish and forgot to put the e on L and it could be L Robert I don't know could be it could be anything whoever L Robert is he has this interesting uh, conceit because L Robert says I'm always confused by the 3 p.m blackout and why the Premier League doesn't pursue an NFL-style TV deal. There are 8 to 10 NFL NFL games at 1pm on a Sunday, and every city or region can watch their local team because the game broadcast on CBS depends on your location. Would this work for the Premier League? I'm I'm guessing, Kieran, the simple answer is no, because our TV is national rather than regional. Um, it, It is, but again... We we are both old enough to remember uh, ITV, where you had LWT having yeah, yeah. their version of football, but East Anglia, you you got to see Norwich and Ipswich quite regularly, <laughs> and, and occasionally Southend and and, uh, and Colchester, and even the, the very occasional trip down to Chelmsford, where I used to live. Um, so. We have had regionalisation. We also have uh, the capacity to show Scottish football um, within yeah, yeah. You know, BBC Scotland, uh, you know, ITV, uh, above the border as well. So, so there is the ability to, to regionalise. Um, and if we take a look at the new Premier League TV deal and also, realistically, the, the new EFL TV deal, um, broadcasters have the capacity to put on multiple channels. And whilst you won't be forced to watch a regional game, um, all of the 2pm on a Sunday games, which which take place, and, and for those clubs that qualify for Europe in you know, once that deal kicks in, um, you're going to have three or four matches kicking off at 2 o'clock on, on, a, on a Sunday. You will then have the choice as to which one. So... Yeah, and let's let's not get into the oh well some fan some clubs have lots of tourist fans all around. So so therefore, if for example, let, let's say that Plymouth get to the Premier League and they get into Europe, then you could have you know people in the southwest go, oh we'll, we'll we'll watch Plymouth every Sunday, and then in the northwest you might be watching you know Everton or 
uh, or Burnley, and in the northeast, you you could be watching you know whoever that club happens to be in the in the Europa League or the Europa Conference and so on. So so I think there is the capacity to do that, um, and it will be interesting to see the viewing figures. And it's the same with the EFL. You know, practically every EFL game is going to be available to to watch um, under the new deal. My dad, God rest his soul, used to do his nut when Watford was shown on the big match on a on a Sunday because he was sort of, what the fuck was it? What was showing Watford for? It's not in, Watford's not in London. I said, well, where, where should they? I don't care. Yorkshire TV. Because obviously geography doesn't run in our family at all. But he's like, <laughs> he's like I don't care who shows them. But it's, it's not, it shouldn't be. Brian Moore should never be. The word Watford should never pass Brian Moore's lips for a home match. He was quite, he had some strange rules in life. Uh, don't put buttons up your nose. That was another one. Never eat anything bigger. Don't put, than, up your nose. Don't put buttons up your nose, uh, and never eat anything bigger than your head. That was another of his uh, world oh, life yeah. hacks. He's, well, he's, he's not seen modern naan breads, has he? You go to some of the the Indian restaurants these days, and have you seen them? They're like uh, they're, they're like spinnakers. You just, huge. You just give me an idea, there, Kieran. I, I, Narnia bread. Why isn't somebody doing Narnia bread? You go through into the back. The, the the door of the restaurant is a big, great big wardrobe, and you walk through the door of the wardrobe into the car, and it'd be cold. And it'd be Christmassy. That's what it'd be. Uh, Connor Palmer has our next question. Uh, and Connor says the failure to make wage payments was brought up on the podcast recently, and the protection for the players and potential repercussions for the clubs from the EFL. I was wondering whether the same protections are present in regards to paying performance-related bonuses like the appearance fees and goals, and what punishments the governing bodies have in place relating to the failure of paying such bonuses. It's, it's an interesting one, Kieran. We, we, we have talked about wages not being paid on time by several clubs recently, but we don't talk about whether bonuses and add-ons are, are paid. Well, um, when you sign that contract, your remuneration is your your base wage plus appearance fees, plus win bonuses, plus final position in season bonuses, and, and whatever happens to be the uh, the components of your contract. So failure to pay any one of those is deemed to be a failure to pay the wage on time because you've not received your, your fully entitled salary. And if the club doesn't pay you within, I think the rule is, is it 14 days twice? Um, by the end of the month, then that might trigger an opportunity for the player to say, I've been mistreated here. Um, this is actually deemed to be a serious breach of contract. And I am therefore going to exercise my option to work walk away from the club. So bonuses are very much part of the remuneration package um, of, of a player. It's not like if you're a if you're a banker or you're working in, you know, in the world of finance where an annual bonus is expected, you know, these are bonuses which will form part of your, your monthly salary and therefore failure to, to receive that, um, especially when it's contractually obliged, um, will trigger the option to uh, say that you're in breach. You've raised an interesting point there, Kira, because I, I think a lot of people, and quite often when I say a lot of people, I mean me, but uh, well, I try and disguise that fact. I think a lot of people would would assume that most bonuses in football are paid uh, at the end of the season rather than on a, on a monthly. So you're saying that players will get 
their goal bonus on a monthly basis or their appearance bonus on a monthly basis? Yes, hopefully, oh, okay. yeah, right. because otherwise that would cause huge issues in terms of meeting the payroll for the 30th of June. When ironically, yeah, that's a month where football clubs don't generate any money because yeah. it's it's gone yeah. past the end of the season. Of course, when you when you explain it like that, Kieran, it all seems very sensible, and sensible, which is why this pod works. I think our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Chris Dobson. And Chris says you often mention that dropping leagues can be a bit like a cliff edge financially. So, what are financial implications in terms of relegation and promotion when it comes to the top and second tier? of women's football of in England. Compared, I should have put the stress on women's football there rather than England. The second tier of women's football in England compared to countries in Europe. Also, would it be cheaper for a European club to get to the Women's Champions League than it would be for an English club? It, it's quite a pertinent question, Kieran, because we've seen people like Emma Hayes uh, recently imply that the finances of women's football should be um, directed towards getting an English club to win the Women's Champions League rather than perhaps shoring up the whole system. Um, we've seen a change in the finances at the top of how women's football is its financed. So this, this is, a, I think, a very interesting question. Yes, I mean, the, the, the current deal is very much sort of 75% uh, WSL, 25% championship. And below that, the level of financial support given to the women's game is is close to zero. So um, if we take a look at the difference between the WSL and the championship, when you see clubs being relegated, it does have quite a significant impact. Some clubs have effectively had to go from full-time to part-time. Um, there, there are potential redundancies on, on the back of that, um, and, and it is quite sizable. Um, there has been talk um, of bringing private equity uh, into women's football. I think that's been rejected because we now have this new arrangement with this this new co being created. And I think how it goes about trying to, to, to ride those two horses, you know, one is the sense that we want to have a successful national team, which, which we do have. Um, secondly, we want the, the women's game to, to grow. And, and if you take a look at you know, Arsenal getting crowds of 50,000, Chelsea getting big crowds when they've gone to Stamford Bridge, try, trying to um, grow the, the interest in the sport whilst at the same time acknowledging that the pool of players has to be big enough to make it a competitive league and you therefore have clubs like you know, Birmingham and Bristol City and so on who still have a chance when they are facing Chelsea or Arsenal or some of them, Manchester United and City and so on. The, 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 the big fear, um, I, I think, for both the administrators and, and the people who have uh, put so much effort in growing the women's game is that you end up with Premier League Mark II, but without that same degree of uh, embedded tribalism that means that you will support Crystal Palace Football Club to the day you die and you will be attending Crystal Palace Football Club regardless of the division that they're in as will all of your mates and it's the same for me and all of my mates and you know and let's face it we've been down in league two for for a good few seasons and but that that never stopped us um I think the the women's game it's 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 a different product, and that degree of 
I, I don't think devotion, you know, because to a large extent, it's lunacy. Um, you know, why am I going to Rochdale on a Friday night from Brighton? You know, I, I asked myself that question when I was coming back from Rochdale on a Friday night, having suffered a, a 2 0 defeat when we didn't have a, a shot for the whole 90 minutes and one of our players got sent off after half an hour. And yet, and yet you still keep coming back for more. Um, I, I don't think the the fan, I think the fan base in, in women's game is probably more discerning and more more sensible than that. But that means that it's not as sustainable a game. So the cliff edge, it, it's not as big a cliff as we see between the Premier League and the Championship, but it is notable. And also the the divisions within the division, you know, having a a rich and a not so rich is becoming more and more evident. I think the question, Kieran, is not why are you going to Rochdale on a Friday night to watch Brighton. Is why are you taking the Baroness on a third date in Rochdale on a Friday night? That's a big question. <laughs> and there's a couple of things there, Kieran. It's interesting. We had a a, a questioner uh, sometime last season, uh, last season, last year, beg your pardon, who who talked about the women's game and, and said he would love to go and see a, a Bristol women's team, but he's a Bristol Rovers fan. And he won't go and see Bristol City women. But if if the team was called Bristol, he would he would support it, which plays exactly into the narratives you just mentioned. But what about the second part of Chris's question about is it is it cheaper for a European club to win to get to the Champions League or to win the Champions League? Because I, I think I think the WSL would have said if you'd said ten years ago would an English club have, have won the, the the Women's Champions League by now they would have said yeah absolutely yes they would and, and we still haven't. I, um, yeah, I, I think I think it it is. I think it's that there's a cultural difference uh, in in the European game, and you do have some clubs on in continental Europe have been who have been quite dominant um, domestically, which means that whilst we're not saying that they can afford to uh, take it easy during the domestic league. Um, there, there still are four or five teams in the WSL who are very competitive, and therefore you, you can't take your foot off the gas, and you get into that weekend weekday routine, um, and and that increases the pressure. And, and we've seen certainly in the men's game as well, clubs clubs falter as a result of that. So you know the likes of Barcelona and, and some of the the French and German teams have managed to be successful because the level of competition isn't huge necessarily, but all of the players therefore tend to congregate in in, uh, in one or two teams, mm. which isn't, I'd say, quite the case that we have here in, in the WSL. Our last question, Kieran, comes from Chris Playford, and it's a cracker, I think, Kieran. Um, Chris says, I know there are hybrid contracts like player-coach, for example, but do any clubs have roles like player-outreach lead or player-accountant? Would this present a financial or recruitment advantage to clubs in lower leagues by providing contracts to footballers who otherwise may not be fully contracted? Um, and there may be listeners um, hearing that, thinking, well, that's a ludicrous idea. But we spoke to Pat Nevin only a few weeks ago, who for, for a couple of seasons was player chief executive officer at, at, at Motherwell. So it's not entirely without precedent. I know you'd, you'd happily apply for the job of... Uh, player accountant somewhere, but it's, I think that's a really, I think it's a really interesting uh, idea, especially as you, as Chris says for clubs in lower leagues, who you know, as he says, providing contracts to footballers who otherwise may not get a full contract. Yes, uh, and we we often see players um, again, perhaps towards the end element of their career. 
um, combining not necessarily a player coach role, but um, I know one player who has become a director of football and is, and is still playing. Um, some have become scouts for another club whilst being contracted oh, to right, okay. their existing club. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and that, that tends to be you know, not in the, in the, never in the Premier League, but not, not in the AFL, but National League. Um, you might actually be doing a bit of job, a bit of work for an EFL club whilst being contracted to an NFL club as a player, but on a part-time basis because you've you've had a, a career and you've built up relationships and a network and so on. Um, so, yeah, um, certainly in a non-playing capacity, you've got people that are doing six or seven jobs at individual clubs. So there's absolutely no reason why part of your job couldn't be to, to turn up on a on a Saturday and then. You, you become the groundsman as well. Certainly, um, when when I used to play cricket for Trafford, um, the pro, uh, as he was known, you know, he was uh, our player um, who also mowed the grass and uh, you know, painted the sight screen. So it, it happens. It happens in other sports, um, and the wizard of Weast, as as he was known, <laughs> um, was was multitasking. Wizard of yeast, did you say? No, of Weast. Weast is a oh, okay, right. is a, is part of Salford. It's a it's a very proud part of Salford, oh, no, no, and no, no. Uh, I would ne- I would never upset anybody from Weast. No, no, nor would I. Knowingly, Kieran, it's a new one on me. That's very interesting. Um, I suppose player accountant would be difficult, Kieran, because the other players wouldn't particularly want you knowing how much they were earning per season, would they? Or, or what sort of bonuses yes. are getting? So it's probably out the window that. That particular hybrid job. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you, and it'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. I mean, occasionally, Kieran, we should probably mention how small these contributions are because they are they are small. Even in a world of financial difficulty, you're paying somewhere between one pound and a fiver, which is for most people is still relatively. Small, if you can't afford it, then of course don't go anywhere near it. But we still love the fact that you listen to the pod, which will always be free to air. That's the the line we've drawn in the sand. Mm. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. You can also go to priceoffootball.com if you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt. And as I say, that's on priceoffootball.com, which is, I found a note. I'm just trying to find a weekly way of not saying priceoffootball.com so often. And I've cornered myself into saying it more than I normally say. Some guy will be delighted. I should, perhaps we should change the rules. I'm going to say to go, I want a bonus every time I mention priceoffootball.com. And we'll see that they'll faint. Yeah, and the email, the email will go quiet again and he'll change his address. And we'll be back on Thursday, which is nearly February, with our, our news update. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Yes, and as Kevin was saying, if you're mad with the ads, <laughs> then go on the Patreon rate, Patreon route. Uh, I think it's a little as £3 gets rid of those adverts. Uh, I think you still might get myself and Kevin doing our sponsorship announcements. Oh yeah, um, so you, so you get the glory of of the the, the passion that we put into those, um, but not necessarily the the more generic adverts from from some of our uh, very very kind advertisers. Um, but there's another way in which you can support the show, and by all accounts, if you go on to your app and uh, give us a review, uh, we'll review the books as well. But it's, I mean, it's very amusing reviews of the books. 
um, then then fill your boots. Uh, doesn't matter what you say. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Glenn Murray mm-hmm. and Rag and Bone Man. Oh, wow. I think that would be a great pairing at some facility at some point in time. Who knows? I reckon that would kick off. I reckon that would definitely. I reckon that would kick off. I'd, I'd listen to that one actually. That'd be good. I love Rag and Bone Man. I love Glenn Murray as well, but in in different ways. Do you know what? I'm surprised producer guy hasn't come up with a Patreon level where you pay fifty quid and you don't have to listen to the pod. <laughs> you can you can skip not only the ads, you can skip us. I reckon we could make a fortune there, Kieran. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. I'm for the